Hello, welcome to From the Recruit. Uh, my name's John, with me is Jason. Hello there. Uh, DCW. Hello. Uh, Mike is on his way. Uh, we, we, we thought we'd get ahead of it, really, because Watford have just drawn 2-2 with Bournemouth. Uh, Last-minute goal for Bournemouth, as you, you probably know. Uh, that's probably a bit Mike in a negative mood, so we're going to try and get a bit positive before the man turns up. Because it was a draw, and it, you know, there is that feeling of, uh, of defeat, Jason. But there's, there's a lot to take from that game, and I think for me personally, I'm looking at it, I'm going... Yeah, we might not win a lot of games, but where we are, the reason I'm feeling a little bit safer is that the performance that we had was of a was a, a, a far greater performance than we've seen of, of late. Absolutely, yeah, the, and the uh, the team lineup was a little bit different up front as well, wasn't it? And it was, uh, Jason, as you so wished, your it was your wish was granted. We got exactly what I'd been calling for, didn't we? Or slightly. So we we, yeah. we got Pereira on the left, and we got Hughes at number ten, and of course Firmino was playing. Uh, on the on the right side of that three um, and that worked pretty well Hughes well he got man of the match and says it oh I don't need to say much more than that but we got what I think what we would expect from him he found pockets of space received the ball well and then the Bournemouth players found it hard to get off him because he's got such a, that sort of low centre of gravity that, that, that he's he looks slight but he's so hard to knock off the ball and on the defensive side he likes to get stuck in as well and I think we saw that today as well and then Pereira again looked much more comfortable out on the uh, on the left, cutting inside. Scored that wonder goal. <laughs> it was the, one of the worst looking goals that we've definitely seen. I don't think it's even going to make any sort of highlights package of all the Watford goals. You almost want to hide it because it was a sort of a scuff. It was a scuff, but it, it wrong-footed the uh, the rather good Asmir Begovic. He's, he's a decent keeper, Begovic. I like him. Um, and it completely completely sold him with the dummy. <laughs> and, of course, Firminia scored as well. Uh, and, and he looked good. If you're going to worry about any of those three, perhaps you worry if Firmino would be okay in that sort of role because we know he's quick. And I think what it does, it gives us a bit of difference on either side of the pitch. So you've got a, a fast player in Firmino who perhaps won't cut inside like Pereira would do, but will look to take on the, the fullback with his pace and sort of go around the outside. But what's good about that is that we know that Yamat's really good at cutting inside, so that sort of creates space for him as well. I think it just sort of dovetails all very nicely together. Uh, Dave, I know we're supposed to be waiting for Mike to turn up before we, before, before we get negative, but I'm afraid I, have, I'm, I am feeling a bit negative after that. I, I completely understand where you, you two are coming from, and that there are positives to take from that game and from that performance. There's some good, a good, a, a decent team performance and some good individual performances. But I'm frustrated again by our, our lack of ruthlessness in the final third and poor decision making. I think we should have won that game today. I think we. For large, Bournemouth played all right, and probably just about worthy of their point. Really, from their point of view, they'd probably say that. But I think if you look at the times we had the ball in their final third, and more often than not, a quality ball wasn't put in. Jan Matt did a couple of terrible crosses. Pereira and Decore and Hughes, Dini, they're trying little flicks, and it, it, you know, there's no decisiveness, no conviction, and. It was similar a few weeks ago against Arsenal. We should have had something out of that game, and when. In recent weeks, we've been winning games by 1-0 at home. You know, you, you run that risk of what happened today, and that's a set piece or you get unlucky and you, you throw away points that you otherwise should have had. And I think, I think we need to be better in front of goal. I could put it down to our fourth major loss of points of this year. You know, the, the Everton away, Palace away, Swansea at home, and now this Bournemouth game where we should have got the points from that game. That's something negative. Might get nearer. No, maybe not. Um, but defensively, Jace, Pruder went off. Uh, Cathcock came on. Maps having uh, another Maps moment. He's got an umbrella. He's got an umbrella. <laughs> Quick, Mike. We need the umbrella. 
but maps and uh, just just showing not perfect not brilliant in defense but but better if you look at the look at the players just on the basis of who they are you probably wouldn't pick him but on form again he looks our best center back and there was one tackle in the uh things in the second half you could see he's made the decision, right, I am going to go and win this ball. Yeah, he's made the decision to go and tackle the ball. I'm going to go and win that ball. And he did. And, and, it, and you, it was like, oh, my God, is he going to get it first? Is he going to get it first? Never in doubt. A superb tackle. And, and it's that sort of decision-making. Compare that alongside Prudel, who once he got the yellow card, perhaps lucky not to get one in the first half with that the free kick gave away. Similar decision to tackle sort of from behind in the second half. Got the yellow. And then he just kept getting turned striker tight to him and you could see he was almost a walking red card at that point having made the right decision to to take him off no chance of Mariapa going off he just looks so much better than the uh, the others at the moment in terms of centre-back Hi Mark, you right? Oh uh, yeah I am actually surprisingly enough I'm Oh busy. wow well, we, 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 our, our plan was to get ahead of the negativity by doing a little bit of the podcast DCW didn't really help um, <laughs> but the bit that I you know I always love walking up here out, outside the Hornet shop and you hear everyone walking up Occupation Road and you see the, the, the almost the, the thing that people grab hold of and like real hold, you know can't get past and they really couldn't get past the Akaka foul uh, yeah. that led to the, the Bournemouth goal yeah. oh, am I saying you're not bothered well the, the, the most important thing is that the Watford team couldn't get past the foul they had one job to do get set up after the foul was given deal with a routine long ball into the box and they didn't do it I've seen it, it was a foul he led with the arm and it's going to get given in, in real time it looked a very very soft one I thought um, he, had a, he had a rough afternoon did, uh, did big stuff he didn't really have the impact you'd, you'd hope but at that stage 90 minutes gone you've given a free kick it's in your own, their own half you know what to do just set up and I thought they'd defended quite, quite well against set pieces so Bournemouth only had a couple of corners but we dealt with them dealt with them fine there was no real threat Watford bossed I thought the second half sort of owned the game after a dodgy sort of 10-15 minute period they couldn't see the game out again which unfortunately we've already had on the WhatsApp group we're trying to list the amount of points that we've thrown away from winning positions Bournemouth are the team who've come back from losing positions to win the most points so perhaps no surprise there incredibly frustrating I think it's a, a difficult always a difficult game against Bournemouth I think most people know my views on uh, Bournemouth and uh, Darth uh, Darth Howe and his uh, <laughs> master of the dark arts, and you know again it's in evidence there. I don't, you know, I just think it's it's what they do. They 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 make sure whenever there's a, a 50-50 foul, the Bournemouth players go down. They make sure the referee know. Um, Howe and his assistants are off the bench at every single opportunity, and the fourth officials here. And then um, when the foul free kick goes against them. But I wouldn't melt, and I'm already getting lambasted on the uh, on Twitter by some of the more uh, testy Bournemouth fans for referring to them as the Premier League's Australian cricket team. <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're over the that side of the you're on the uh, John side of the, the ground uh, today. Yes. Um, did you see, could you see any clear reason why Will Hughes came off? By the way, I think tired. I think he's just. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a monumental shift, and that's why that's why I'm positive because I think the the performance I said to. To a couple of people before the game, what do you what do you think today? And we, as usual, like we've got no idea what's going to happen in the Watford game. Are they going to be good, bad, or indifferent? Could be. Well, it's usually a mixture of the three, isn't it? But what you want to see is some sort of performance. And I think we actually got that today. And if you if you sit down and sort of take the last minute equaliser out of it and and rationally look at it, you think that's actually a reasonable performance from Watford, considering. Uh, and looking at the players who are coming back, which we, you know, we've lamented the injuries throughout the season, uh, and Firmino and uh, Will Hughes have been two that have come up in conversation. And thrillingly, both of them had a, an impact on the game. I thought Kiko took his, you know, he's in the right place to score his goal. Uh, but Will Hughes was just, what a titanic 
titanic effort from him. Is titanic the right word? Massive. Yeah. I, I said to Jason at one point, he just filled the entire Watford midfield. It felt like, anyway. He's he here, great. he's there, he's every... He was great. He was, really, he was strong, he was tenacious, he was quick-witted, he moved the ball, you know, he'd like the stuff we were getting from Trelleborg early in the season. And I'm thrilled for Hughes, cause, and I'm thrilled for Watford as well, because we took a punt on him. He's been floating around in the Championship, but a lot of people talking about him. And yes, he's got his injury concerns, which perhaps put a few people off. But Watford took a, a gamble on him, uh, and it, it, he's looked every inch the Premier League player since since he's since he's been on the pitch. And I'm just really really pleased that. And I just think we got better performances from most players out there. We're still lacking a bit, I think. I think we're still struggling. Prudel looked like he was getting towards being a bit more commanding again. Uh, just joined you as Jay said. You know, he's obviously taken off because he was a walking red card at that stage. Mariapa again, absolutely monumental. I thought he was absolutely fabulous. Carnesis sort of bossed his box quite nicely and, and looked competent. Jose, what do you say about Holobas? I mean, I'm sure we talked about the penalty, but I don't know. We've all had to swap flies away in the, in the penalty area, haven't we? So, uh, it's not that obviously, hopefully, that in the past. Yeah. But I thought overall, the way we grew into the game, the way we really bossed that, that second half was, was positive. Obviously, the negatives, letting in that last-minute goal and just not, again, being fluid enough or incisive enough when we had acres of space in the final third loads of time in the ball and it was not quite frankly not good enough in the final third I don't think we're incisive enough decisive enough um, and that's that's a bit disappointing but at this stage in the season you're just looking for getting back to sort of that steady half decent performances and then can we get can we get good performances from those players that we're hoping to get back so overall I'm coming away disappointed six points from Bournemouth for me would have been uh, all my Christmases coming at once <laughs> I don't I don't mind admitting it but ultimately decent performance entertaining game of football again as it always seems to be against uh, against Bournemouth and yeah it feels like we're moving forward we're not I think uh, there's more to more to be happy about than to be disappointed about there I think a podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Fans forum this week, sorry, at our place, uh, as it's called. Uh, and uh, Jason, Deesa and I went down there uh, to, to see what was heard. Uh, and this is what we thought afterwards. So I can hand over now to John. Over to you, John. Thanks a lot, John. Uh, yeah, you join us on Wednesday night. Uh, we just finished at the At Your Place here at Vicarage Road. We had uh, on the panel, we had Scott Duxbury, uh, Tom Cleverley, Javi Gracia, uh, as well as uh, a few of the other senior managers of the club uh, around the room to answer any questions. Jason, first half was trying to focus a bit more on, on the football with Tom and Javi. Uh, first time we've sort of seen Javi uh, in the flesh uh, answering questions. What were your sort of impressions of him? I'm, I'm going to try not to gush, but it, it, it was just very nice and warm and comfortable. Um, firstly, you've got to sort of tip your hat to the man. His English... He's clearly still learning, obviously not his first language, and he's clearly still learning uh, the language. He did have Wigan's finest, Zigor Aronaldi, <laughs> with him uh, to translate if necessary. Um, but I think he tried really hard to understand and answer the questions himself. And, and there were times where Richard Walker was asking him to make sure they're OK, asking Zigor if he was okay to translate but have you no I've got it I've, I've, I've understood it and he's, and he's answered the question as best he can he was still very diplomatic he didn't give too much away and there were some very well trained football answers in there could you say well trained I wondered I had that in my head there were moments where I thought oh, was that well trained because he, he often talked about lots of people asked about the future but he always sort of brought it back to the, the now and the next game and I, I the moments where I was thinking was that him being diplomatic or was, was that a limitation of him 
not being able to express himself? No, I, don't th- I think it's well trained. He, he's, as we know, he's been a, a top flight manager around Europe, so he knows what he's doing when he's answering these questions. The fact that he's sort of put himself up there, I think, is a, is a good thing, a brave thing. He wouldn't know what the 150 people in this room are going to be answer uh, are going to be asking him. So to uh, to make himself available to the fans, I think, yeah, we should be. We should be pleased that he's taken those steps to come out and, and meet the fans. It was his first. It wasn't Scott Duxbury's first, um, uh, David. How did he come across to you? you know, we, we've, we've seen him a lot in action. Was he on his top form? I think he was on good form. It's the first time I've been to any of these events, actually. So I, I'm used to seeing Scott speak to the media occasionally or do interviews or, or speak to us through the club website. And, and it was interesting to see him in this sort of closed environment. He was able to, here and there divulge a little bit more information and be a little bit more candid than he otherwise would have been he still has a limit yeah. obviously people want to know about this player that player they want to know about Marco Silva and they want to know about these things He's a, he's got a job to run this club professionally there are certain things that have to remain confidential and that he, that he can't tell us in this environment. So I think you've got to respect that. I think for the most part, he came across as very honest and he, he's someone, you know, we, we talk about the Pozzo regime, but really it's, a, it's the Pozzo-Duxbury regime really, isn't it? He's a key figure at this club and he, he seems at face value to be as committed as anyone else into doing a good job for, for Watford Football Club and to be committed to be here for, for a long time and taking the club forward. I think, I think he has a lot of personal pride, I think, in what he's done at Watford, I think you know, I think he's got a bit of an ego. I think like anyone in that sort of position would have. And you I, need it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think he, you know he will look at this club as you know him being a central part of the success we've had. And, and he clearly is very ambitious and wants to drive us forward. And I, I was quite impressed in that respect. Because he did say on a couple of occasions he wants to be the best of the rest. It was not about having goals, but having ambition. Which was in my head, you're going is. Is, that, is, he, is he being ambitious there or is he just being cautious? Is he being, what impressions do you get of, of, a, of a goal of just being the best of the rest? I think he's absolutely right. That is realistically the best we can hope to achieve. Of course, and he alluded to this, if something magical happens and you, you have a season like Leicester did and all the, the planets align and some other clubs have a bad season, you might be able to just nip through and finish in the top six, top four top one who knows (laughs) but with our squad with the money we've got looking at the other clubs around us we could have been the best of the rest this season if certain things didn't happen you look at a lot of tight games they're fine margins but the players we've got at the start of the season I, I think I've said it on the podcast before seventh should have been our aim and it sounds like it was the aim from the club and it's a realistic one and if you know we are. We heard from some of the commercial guys as well, and you, you know you have to be realistic. We are on a completely different playing field from the top six because of their finances, their global appeal. It's going to be very, very difficult for anyone to break consistently into that top six. So it's aiming to be the best of the rest, I don't think that that's that's a negative or that is not being as ambitious as you could be. I think you have to be realistic, and but you've got to be. You know that that's a good ambition to have, and we're not far away. Jason, we you know it's, it's the first time I've done these this season. It's towards the end of the season. We're not quite safe yet, but overall, as you're leaving impression of, of Watford Football Club at this point in the many years you've supported Watford, is it 28 now? Add another 10 on top of <laughs> 38 now. Mm-hmm. It gives you a good feeling. And talking about Duxbury, he's very focused, and he absolutely knows what he's doing. And whilst 
yeah, he, he can't say a lot on a lot of subjects. He had a, a good, honest answer for everything, I think. I, I think it, none of the questions particularly phased him, even the difficult ones where you knew he couldn't really be as honest as perhaps the asker would have wanted him to be. Um, he Just tell me the uh, inside leg he, of all the players. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they he, want to know. Yeah, <laughs> he certainly he, he, he tried to address them, in some cases with, with humour, and, and the fans reacted to that as well. I think they understood that, yeah, OK, can't answer the question. But the responses he gave got a laugh from the fans, got a round of applause. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he, he did a good job here tonight and he is doing a good job for Watford. Uh, this evening actually started uh, with two people coming to speak uh, about uh, diversity uh, and Kick It Out. Sam McLeod uh, from the Kick It Out campaign spoke to us about how we can get involved. We'll try and get her on uh, in a few weeks. But also uh, Anwar Udin, uh, who is the uh, Diversity and Campaign Manager at Football Supporters Federation, uh, the lovely people who nominated us for our best club podcast. Uh, and I spoke to him after he was the first British Asian footballer uh, in this country, in fact, the first British Asian uh, manager of Barnet at one point, uh, to find out about his job uh, and the work that he does and the work that maybe we can do as individual Watford fans. In terms of your job, your role, what's the, what's the main sort of part of your role? So I'm a diversity and campaigns manager for the Football Supporters Federation, working partnership with Kick It Out. And in short, it's working with fans to make football as inclusive as possible. Listen, football in this country is massive and there are still problems attached to the game. And I think working with fans, we can find that solution and work towards a better future. In the session tonight, you talked about a few things that you've done. Uh, is there one particular you think you're, you're most proud of? Oh, that's a hard question. To be fair, there's a, there's a few things that over the last three or four years have been really great and made a massive impact. But like I said in there, having played at Bradford for five or six seasons in a row as one of the first British Asian players to ever play in this country, to play in a stadium of 14,000 fans and not seeing one Asian fan watching over like a six-year period was just mental. So, you know, having started the Bangla Bantams with the community, we're talking about 60 season ticket holders now. They have around 800 members. They're going home and away. They're singing songs. You've got elderly women in hijabs, you know, going to game, buying tickets and singing songs. That is something that's quite powerful, yeah, especially with all what's going on in, in society. And, you know, that working with... LGBT groups, when I started, there was three, now there's 40, and we, we provide each group with support, and we've had some amazing stories so far. Because one of the fans out there, he sort of said, you know, he, he brought up the, you know, what if a, a footballer came out as, as gay? How important are you? You know, you said you were the first of everything in, in, uh, you know, in a, being an Asian British. How much does that have an impact, do you think? Or not just on, on LGBT, but on anyone, knowing that there was a, a player out there who represents them? I think if players don't feel comfortable coming out, yeah. I think that says a lot. Yeah. I think in other sports there are players who are openly gay and they find it it's fine to it's an environment where they can do that. And at the moment with football players, because there are obviously players that are gay, they don't feel comfortable coming out. But I think if we can work with fan groups, clubs, raise awareness so that when someone does come out, they'll be supported they'll be championed as a player. And to be honest, it's just irrelevant. It's just another part of who that person is. Would it have made a difference for you at all? Because I know you made it as a professional. Do you think it would have made a difference for you if there had been a British Asian footballer for you? It would have been good to have a role model because every time I said to my dad, I'm going to play football because I want to be a football player, he said, well, there's no Asian players playing. I said, 
yeah, I like Gary Lineker. He said, he's not Asian. And I said, well, I can be the first. And I think it's important to have a role model because it almost is like anything, isn't it? It's believable, it's achievable. Um, so to see someone out there who is gay, for example, if you're a young person coming to terms with your sexuality, you love football, I think it's like, well, look, there's someone out there that's doing it. And you know what? It's fine. They're not vilified. You know, people are not screaming and shouting them every single week. They're being championed for who they are. Listen, maybe I can do the same. Maybe I can be openly gay throughout my teenage years, my younger years, and people know me as a gay player. And you know what? It's not much of an issue because I think, like anything, if someone comes out, it'll still headlines and it'll be a major story just because it's the first. But it'd be good to get to a point where someone else comes out and it's just a little bit boring. As what for fans, you know, we're what for podcasters, what for fans. You know, we're aware of everything that the, the club do, and you know, from my point of view, it seems to be above and beyond what a lot of other clubs do, or certainly some clubs do. What do you think we can do as individual fans to help this diversity? I think to be fair, you're a great club. I'm working with a club. Similar things that you do here, the Century Room, the support groups you have, some really good stuff. And um, you know, compared to other clubs, there's some other clubs that just don't take equality seriously. Like they have communities on their doorstep they have LGBT fans they have disabled fans and I don't think they, they realise how important those fans are and it's the attention to detail uh, that I think is important for me my advice to anyone would be join the FSF is free all we need is your email address and then sort of get in tune with what we're doing some of the stories that I talk about and the beautiful thing is we've campaigned for funds that we could filter down to individual fans. So if an individual fan at Watford thinks that, you know what, I want to do something where maybe I can invite a couple of friends who have never been before, contact me if it means paying for a ticket or a scarf. Just that little thing that can turn two random people into two Watford fans because you're competing with the Arsenals and the Liverpools and the Tottenham's. We want to do that. So for us, it's about encouraging people to become supporters and ideally supporting your local side. It, you know, like, yeah, what team do you support? Main Eyed. Okay, where do you live? London. Like, like what, about, what about your local team? And like, it's not as if Watford, for example, are playing in like League Two. Like, well, you're playing the same league as Manchester United. They're across the road from you. you know, and I think it's about capturing that local fan base. And fans can play a major part in that because, to be honest, a lot of clubs don't. They try to, but sometimes it's not about marketing. You can have the best posters in the world, you can have the loveliest kit, but if your mate says, come along to a game with me and you have a good crack, you're probably going to go again. And then you know what? I don't care who you are. If you get embroiled in the misery or the success, <laughs> it sticks. So I think that's what football fans can do. And, and the thing is, football fans actually do that, but let us help. You know, and if it, if it means funding, if it means advice, if it means a help, you know, that's what I get paid to do. So please use our services. How can we get in contact with you? My email is amwar.udin at fsf.org.uk. Obviously, check out the Football Supporters Federation on the website. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, the rest of it. So I'm not too hard to find. <laughs> I couldn't make it, but just listening to you chaps there just reaffirms, I think, how lucky we are as, as Watford supporters. And I say, do say this after every at our place, or at your place, whichever one it might be. Um, but I think it, it, it bears saying up, it, it bears saying again, it bears repeating 
not every club and certainly not every Premier League club gets this sort of access to high level officials who are prepared to talk frankly admittedly you know it is off the record that's part of the part of the deal but it's great if people talk about what's the what's the link between the supporters and the and the club well there it is go and talk to a, a, the member of the playing staff go and talk to the chief exec go and talk to the manager and what really uh, what I was really excited to hear about was just how Gracia was trying to speak English and Sometimes you do have these little things that give you that warm and fuzzy feeling as a, as a Watford supporter. And I think, to be honest, as a football f supporter, they're fewer and far between, I think, especially when you get to this level of the game. So to hear, again, how you guys sort of had such a, a good experience and the fact that Watford have put them on, absolutely terrific. And, uh, yeah, I don't know where this positivity is coming from today, <laughs> but, yeah, happy chappy. Uh, before the game today, uh, Mike and I caught up with uh, Richard Walker, head of communications here at the club. Um, I think that were talked about on the night, but we're releasing an email to uh, season holders uh, this week. Uh, we caught up with him to just get a bit of a rundown of the things that are happening in the family end uh, and for families, the lower Graham Taylor and also in the rookery stand. Richard, lots of things announced this week with the uh, new season tickets. Firstly, one of what I feel, um, especially after hearing Dave Butler from the Watford Nables, who uh, said that we're almost a club being forced into moving some fans to have more seating uh, for disabled fans. The Premier League made a commitment in 2015. We just joined the league, so we were part of that commitment to reach numbers provided in a document called an Accessible Stadia Guideline. So 150 wheelchair spaces and 150 easy access spaces for people who need legroom or don't get around so well. That's for a 20,000-seater stadium. So that's the commitment we made, and that's the commitment we're being asked to honour by the Equality and Human Rights Commission. David's view, and it's one we sympathise with, from an independent body that he is, the, the, the Disabled Supporters Association here enables, is that we're already oversupplying on demand. So we said, yeah, that seems a reasonable way of looking at it. So we'll supply demand plus 30%. But the AHSE are saying, no, you must reach those stadia guidelines as a minimum. They will consider that to be reasonable adjustment only. So that's where we're getting to in the summer. And that's why we are asking people in blocks three and four of the lower Grand Taylor stand to do a sort of two or three row shuffle down as we did last summer with people further along. Uh, and then the great thing is, I suppose for us being uh, have, having been former young Watford fans, is the commitment uh, in the in the family stand to, for limits, but also away games doing a lot for families there. Yeah, two things at home. Then restricting the season ticket numbers to seventeen hundred and fifty in the family stand. So we've always got five hundred tickets that can be bought. We're just setting up a phone line so families can call up and become first-time visitors and get their kids to get the bug. And you know how that translates. You go round the ground, you end up in the rookery, the, uh, you end up later in life perhaps <laughs> in other stands or whatever. That's the sort of ladder of life, if you like, of supporting Watford throughout your life. Um, away from home, uh, we really didn't like what we heard at Southampton in the Cup time. We've had, we've had feedback for a lot of away games that I don't want to stand and I'm being made to stand the whole game because that is the culture among not just us but all Premier League clubs. So for some time now we've been offering seats, non-standing seats. I know that sounds almost a misnomer but that's what we've been offering over the phone but we're extending that now to a family area of up to 500 out of the allocation that will be offered to people who want to bring families along and we're going to use our stewards that already travel to away games Wherever the host club will let us let us bring stewards in, and that's not all of them, we will seek to steward that as best we can. So if you don't want to stand, you don't have to. If you want to bring your family, you can. Richard, is that unique uh, in the Premier League? It might be. We don't. We tend to. What we tend to do here is do things 
without shouting that we're doing them because there's a little bit of beta testing if you like if it doesn't go well then you haven't officially announced something but we're saying we know this is the right thing to do and we'll announce it I don't know of any other clubs who specifically are doing that because they've probably got enough of a hardcore of people with lots of loyalty points but we're saying while there are those people there by, by standing all the time, we, they've given us no option but to actually help out people who can't stand for 90 minutes. Yeah, well, as, speaking from experience, taking Arno, six years old, it can be t- difficult taking him to away game. So, great initiative as far as personally I'm concerned. We're standing right next to the rookery. Some news about, about that for next season as well. Yeah, all we're saying here is we're not saying you've got to move out if you're not singing. What we're saying is there's likely to be longer periods of singing. People tend to stand when they sing. We're well aware of what the ground regulations say about persistent standing. But what we are saying is there's three other stands where people don't stand up. As a culture, they just, they just don't. They tend not to, other than for a goal maybe. So we're saying there are other options. That's the beauty of this stadium, that there are genuinely other options. And there really isn't a bad seat in this place, apart from the restrictive view ones low down that we price accordingly. So let's have it right. We're saying to people the option is there. We're not saying you've got to move, but, you know, please expect to be standing and singing for a bit longer if you're behind the goal. And you get contact with the players on a daily basis. I don't know if you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, but their response to the atmosphere when it is a good atmosphere, it does make a difference, doesn't it? Home advantage. Very significant in football. Javi Gracia's talked about it. OK, we've had three home wins and that strengthens your argument, but uh, it, it does make a difference when the team is constantly supported. I thought it was the Everton game that was most significant. There wasn't a lot of excitement necessarily because of the way Everton set out, but the crowd were rolling on, rolling on, and there was a momentum that you could say if you'd been in the rookery that day or, or, or singing elsewhere that you'd played a part in that victory, and that's how we want people to feel when they leave Vicarage Road. The ACA tournament have been growing that over the last few years, but was there anything particular that sort of triggered now the time to, for the club to really back and, and, and make that step? If you're not moving forward, you can't stand still. To stand still is to go backwards. It's so important. Each place in the Premier League in the table is worth 1.7 million. If our better atmosphere generates us two or three more home wins in the season, that's an easy argument, isn't it, really? In terms of it's not all about money, but you can see the difference that can make. It makes supporters feel better and it actually does a club a favour as well. A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. Jason, are you particularly bothered by this uh, redesignation of the Rookery stand to be a sing- the singing stand? Not really. I'd, I'd like to think that everyone would like to join in with the singing and we can sing for as, as long as possible. I certainly enjoy uh, singing along to the to the songs when uh, when everyone in our sort of side of the Rookery is singing. I don't think it will make too much difference really to, to the people around us. I'm not, I'm not really sure. We'll, I guess we'll see how it pans out. They've said there could be longer periods of, of standing. I think, like any ground, it's all up and down anyway, isn't it? We, we stand up when we attack and we sit down when we're not. I, don't, I can't see that everyone will be standing up all the time and sort of singing all the way through the 90 minutes. We've talked about the sort of singing thing before and these things, they... You want them to be organic, and whilst I'm not saying this is forced in any way, it's an, it, it, they're just trying to the club are in, trying to encourage us as fans to sing more. I think, but we won't see an instant change because yeah, the, the, the thing will grow organically, and hopefully we will see 
fans joining in with the singing more and hopefully there will be a lot more to sing about next season. <laughs> That's the important thing. We'll sing more when there's stuff to sing about. I would say that the atmosphere today I thought was really good. They yeah, had the drummer really and the... Uh, a capo in the uh, in that little sort of what, what's it what I don't know how you describe it that little balcony and I think yeah. as I was sort of in the middle of the Elton John stand today and it was the uh, atmosphere was noticeably better I thought mm. before I forget I need to say a big get well soon to Graham Spittles he was uh, very very poorly uh, this week I think uh, rushed into hospital um, massive Watford fan uh, no listens to the podcast so get very well soon. Uh, Graham. Um, also, can we say good luck to the girl who was sat about two rows in front of us, who was clearly doing her GCSE um, uh, <laughs> physics um, revision. You know, she's at the game. Look, she's halfway the second half. She had a textbook open in front of her. Both. Uh, both. Ends, good luck to both. Yeah, both ends of the spectrum there. But yeah, Graham, uh, if you're listening, get well soon. Get back to the victory. DCW is Burnley the return of Mr Dyche he's been around locally in the last week for the Tales from the Vicarage if you haven't listened to our last week's podcast uh, have a listen uh, Sean Dyche uh, Richard Johnson uh, Richard Lee Paul Robinson and uh, Alec Chamberlain uh, all spoke to spoke to us um, I'm guessing with the way they play you're happy with a point Definitely, because they've got a pretty good away record this season, actually, in, in marked contrast to, to their record last season, where they, they only won one game away all season. Um, they've actually got the highest percentage of their points of any team coming away from home for Burnley this season. Um, I think they won again today, I think they beat West Brom today. Um, That's not a hard thing to do, though. <laughs> yeah, which doesn't mean anything. But, yeah, it'll be a difficult game. It'll be a really difficult game, and we want to win our home games, and I think, especially if you look at the teams are playing away, two of the three teams are playing away, uh, in the remaining games this season, they can be very difficult against Manchester United and Spurs. But so we, we need we need a win. We want to get another win. We don't want to limp over the line with a series of draws till the end of the season. We'll probably be safe because the teams below us are terrible. But it'd be nice to get a win. Would you do much different in terms of how Watford started? Hughes clearly has to start. Um, you know, there's nothing. I can't think why you wouldn't. So that sort of fits everyone else around him in, in many ways. No, I, I'd go go for the same. I wouldn't, wouldn't change anything, to be honest. And I, It'll be a different game, though, because Bournemouth and Burnley are very different sides in the way they play football. Uh, Burnley are a lot more direct. They'll be a lot more compact. They'll probably invite us onto them a bit more than, than Bournemouth do. Bournemouth are happy to play football and they've got a lot of pace. So the, the approach will be different. And we, we've heard uh, Javi speak about how he... You know, it's not just this is my philosophy. Whoever we play against, we play like this. He does change it very specifically against depending on who we're playing. So we'll see whether that comes into into play. Thank you very much for listening to another from the Recreando. We're back again next week. And by the way, next week will equal our record for number of podcasts in a season: forty-two. Still more pods than points. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, thank you, DW. Thank you. And thank you, Jason. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Do tell your friends and uh, subscribe to uh, on whatever app or device uh, that you listen to your podcast on. Follow us on Twitter as well, at Watford Podcast. Follow us on Instagram as well, at Watford Podcast. And follow us on uh, Facebook, slash Watford Podcast. Follow us on social media, gang. Thank you very much. And uh, another weekend at the Vic. Come on, you ones.